it was a book for various reasons. It's just, it kind of got shelved for a while and, okay. uh, no okay. pun intended. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> feel free to leave that in, Russell. Say again? Probably as funny as I'm going to get. This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host. Russ, the big guy. Hi, it is Russ, the big guy. I'm a lifelong entrepreneur who is very familiar with the struggles and successes related to running a business. I know it is definitely worth the struggle. The freedom and unlimited potential keep me moving forward, fueled by my why. Aligned with that is my desire to share with you, the entrepreneur and aspiring business owner, entertainment, information, inspiration, and even transformation into an even more amazing entrepreneur and human. To those ends, please enjoy this episode of Going Boldly. And this is Russ. Our guest on this episode is a super cool guy. He is kind of like one of those Renaissance men, I guess I would uh, call him. He does so many different kinds of things. Now, I, I met this gentleman in New Orleans. It was my first trip and uh, t- uh, spent two months down in New Orleans. I uh, hit my first uh, Mardi Gras season, my first Mardi Gras parade, my first uh, uh, outdoor art market, and lots of really cool things. And I met some really neat people there. And I think the one guy that was the most interesting, and I kind of felt like I knew him right away, he's a hugger, uh, his name is Brent Walker. Welcome, Brent. Hey, thanks for having me, Russell. It's great. It's a privilege. I've been wanting to have you on the show for quite a while. I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about kind of some of the things that you're involved with. So kind of keep track, and you can you can correct me and add and subtract as we go. But I want them to know, I met you as, as a photojournalist, and I have your book, The Hidden South, and I've got to tell you, it's probably one of the most interesting books that I've ever read, The Hidden South. They are profiles of a kind of forgotten people people who are recovering from traumatic events in their lives. Maybe some of them are still on the streets. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, if you want an eye-opener, that book, The Hidden South, is pretty amazing. So Brent Walker is a creative guy. I think he has another book, too, which I'm going to talk to him about, uh, and more involved with mental health. He has the Hidden South Studio of Art, Oddities, and Antiques down in Algiers Point. Which uh, I think is a, yeah, I think there's a pirate thing down there every year, isn't there, Brent? You know, I'm not familiar with that. I've only okay. been living here officially for like three years. And and the studio, I live in Algiers Point, but the studio is actually in uh, Araby, which is just outside the Lower Ninth Ward. Ah, got it. All right. So he's a curator of interesting, you know, oddities and antiques for that. Of course, he's an entrepreneur. Uh, I know he's a father. I, I'm going to guess he's probably – are you a musician too, Brent? Because we never really talked about <laughs> no, that. No, I'm really not. Oh, um, my gosh. My, my mom will tell you that I um, I took classical guitar lessons when I was uh, when I was like 12. Okay. And so this was kind of the story of my whole life. and still is in some ways. But, yeah. but the second they told me that I was really gifted and that I could go somewhere with it, I quit. <laughs> So that was, that was about six months, you know, and, and that was the extent of my musical career. All right, we're gonna have, maybe we'll have to um, we'll have to check into why why that is. Uh, let's see. So so uh, Brent is also a craft person, um, and have you officially become the auctioneer, the right Reverend Walker? <laughs> Not yet. I put that on hold until I get the business up and running. Oh, um, you did okay. Yeah, I was all signed up for for auctioneer school. I didn't know, but you can't uh, 
you can't actually auction anything unless you have a, a, a legit license. So you have to go to school for it. Are you kind serious? of like real estate school. Yeah, Are yeah. You kidding. Is that just no, in is that like just in the state or what? Is that the I st- think it's in a lot of states. Oh. Um, kind of regulated like that. Interesting. All right. Um, I've never heard of that one. So it's like it's like a two week um, you know, like real estate school. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So I know you have a lot of other things going on. So um, what did I miss? I think um, I think that's it. I am generally an explorer. That's what I like to do most. And, yeah. and really everything I do kind of goes back to that. I really love to see places I've never seen before and talk to people I've never talked to before. And, and that's um, that's kind of the centerpiece of what I what I do and tell tell stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is it what is it about? Uh, that experience. What is it that um, that makes that so interesting to you? I know that you're a thoughtful guy. So, in fact, in fact, I learned something from you, which we can talk about later. Which I took with me forever. I I hope you'll be proud of me when I tell you about it. But uh, what? <laughs> Depends uh, on what it is. Well, <laughs> it was one of your good traits. Um, <laughs> one of your. I didn't always. Have it was one of your. Yeah, it was one of your positive, constructive traits. Um, so what, what do you, what do you perceive as, um, the source of that? And, you know, like, where does that come from? What do you get out of it? Huh. Um, I guess it's just a thrill to me. I don't really know why I'm wired like that. Um, I, I think, I think everybody's wired differently and yeah. that's just, it took yeah. me a long time to figure it out. You know, like I kind of, um, one of the careers that I've had in the past was as a location scout. And as a location scout, one of your jobs or your main job is to find things that, you know, for movies or TV or whatever. Oh, all right. And, and so I like doing that and I'm good at, I'm good at finding things. I'm good at like, um, yeah. just organically, you know, not really having a clue what I'm doing in the beginning, but once I start, things just kind of show up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I actually renamed my kind of the over overarching name of my business not too long ago um, from Brent Walker creative, which I always hated. It was the stupidest oh. name. All right. Well, that's yeah. what I had. It was an, isn't that your LLC? <laughs> right. It was right. until a couple of years ago, uh, I changed it to river Walker productions. Oh. And Nice. The reason I changed it to that is because I really believe that that's, that's how my life goes best. If I just go with the flow and kind of, you know, set my intentions, but don't try to control things too much along the way. Right. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what I do. Well, it's interesting. You know, you touched on a couple areas that we we've discussed with other guests here and that are in alignment with kind of the, some of the things that we want our new business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs, some of whom haven't gotten their feet wet yet to know uh, some of these things that are, that are like really important, right? So intentions, setting your intentions is really important. That's something that you just mentioned. And, um, and, and it's interesting because the more you get into the concept of being an entrepreneur and really building a life around your interests, your business, your passions, the, the deeper you get into more like philosophical sorts of things and, you know, uh, metaphysical stuff. And it gets kind of interesting when you go deep. But one of the concepts is that when you, when you have a purpose and you have identified that and that's something that you're working towards, when you give yourself up to it and you open yourself up to it, um, 
things come to you that you would have never expected. Resources and people come to your aid. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, you talked about the book during the time of me creating that book. It was like magic. It was really like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And it, it just the right people kept on showing up day after day after day. And the the money showed up and just everything. Yeah, and it came together and it was a it was a beautiful thing. And I all I had to do was wake up every morning and remember what my intention was it was and to just kind of do my best and i never know i never know what that looked like really other than just putting one foot in front of the other and and um you know going with the flow of life and and all right well let's talk about that briefly then because that book you're referring to is the hidden south i have a copy i have a copy of that book that you signed for me which i love i've showed it to many people um, I had someone in here recently who I was helping uh, with uh, a podcasting, right? Because she's getting into podcasting, and she looked, saw the book on our table in here in the podcast studio, and said, "Oh, I have that book." Oh, so, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought That's that was crazy. amazing. It was awesome. Describe that process a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, you can tell tell our listeners kind of what your book is, what you know, kind of what it's about. Your intention is what with the book. And then maybe do you have an example or two that you could describe that would be something that unfolded that, you know, sort of like the universe gave you that gift, anything come to mind for that? So how about the book first? Yeah. Okay. So the, the book, um, the book didn't, uh, the book started out as, uh, me just going out on the streets of Atlanta and talking to people who were kind of in the middle of their addiction. I went to neighborhoods that most people don't go to. And I just, ask people to tell me about something that really changed their life for better or worse. And a lot of times, you know, because people were in the predicament that they were in, it was for the worst, you know, it was kind of this thing happened to me and, and, um, you know, it wasn't a, um, it was just, it was really the intention was to tell the reasons why people choose the path that they choose. You know, it's not, you know, we don't all start off at the same place in life. Some yeah. of us have it a lot easier than others. Yeah. Um, to try to create some empathy around issues like addiction and homelessness and, and that type of thing. Um, and so I started that in 2014 and it, my, in the back of my head was always, I want to create a book. I want to create a book. That's kind of the end result of this thing that I'm doing before that I was not, I wasn't doing documentary photography or photojournalism. I had a, a photography studio um, in Atlanta, but you know, I did very different type of work. I didn't have any following when it came to this stuff, but you know, I never, um, I guess one of the things that happened when I was in that flow, that, that, that kind of perfect flow yeah. of, of just coming together was that I got press every time I turned around. So NPR found out about it and they, um, you know, the Atlanta station and they had me on a couple of times and the Atlanta journal found out about it. And, you know, so I started getting all this press, which then gave me all these followers that, you know, then eventually contributed to my Kickstarter. And, you know, so it just, you know, one thing after another, after another, just kept on happening and building. And and it was a beautiful thing. I mean, it really, really was. And, you know, when I talk about the right people showing up, mostly what I'm talking about is the, the hundred or so people that are actually in the book. I don't know. You know, when people ask me, how do people open up to you so easily? You know, how do you yeah. get to that, to that really intimate stuff. And I, I'm just, yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, people just do. And the right people showed up to tell me the stories that needed to be told. 
You know, there's just there's just so many. You know, in general, the 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 theme that kept on coming up over and over again. You know, when when I talk to people about the reasons why, there's a ton of sexual abuse in there. There's a ton of. Um, I think one of the themes that kept on going back to over and over again was, you know, when somebody was in their childhood, the person that they counted on the most, their parent or guardian or whoever it was, turned on them in some way. Yeah. And so those stories kept coming up over and over and over again. What was it that drove you to be interested in that? There was some reason why you decided to do that. You could have gone out and take, you know, taken photos of people's pets or wrought iron structures or (laughs) antebellum mansions or what have you. So... I think like anything that's really good that we do, it's somewhat self-centered, right? It's, it's so, to me, it was, you know, I had struggled with addiction in many ways for a long time. Mm-hmm. And what really ultimately helped me become free of that was being able to, uh, I remember the day I did it, actually. Um, I told my mom, who has always been there for me and, and you know, is a, is a great mom, um, I told her that I had been sexually abused as a child and I didn't tell her that till I was 33 years old. Wow. And so, so I've been carrying that around since it happened when I was about 12 years old. And honestly, there was, there was a lot of my life where I would have rather taken a bullet than, than divulge that information. Yeah. And I knew for me, I knew for me that that was the beginning of my healing. You know, it didn't fix everything, but letting go of that baggage and, and being able to talk freely about it was very healing for me. And so the thought was to go out there and find other people that are carrying these things around and give them an opportunity to let go of them. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and even during that process, it's funny, I go back and look at this video. I, I was on HLN News and they did a special on me and it was it was really in depth. They went out with me for the day and they kind of filmed me interviewing people and, um, but when they interviewed me, they asked me this question and I said on national TV that I had been molested as a kid. And even when I said it then, you know, I hadn't practiced saying it very much at that point. Yeah. My voice, my voice was shaky and, you know, you can hear it in my voice. I was, oh, yeah. you know, there's so much shame attached to it for, um, for a male, especially a male in the South. I think really that's what spawned it for me. It was that, it was that understanding of how powerful it was in my life to let that stuff go and to, to talk about it openly and giving other people the opportunity to do the same thing. Do you think it helped you in your growth and your healing to be able to offer that to other people or to at least have those conversations with other people who had uh, maybe had similar experiences? Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, there's a... I mean, I've shared more um, powerful moments with more humans than anybody I've ever come across. And it's um, while it's been a lot of tough conversations and I had to quit doing it for a while and I still haven't come back to it in the way I was doing it before the book came out. um, You know, it was it changed my life. I mean, I am I am most definitely a different person than I, I would have been if I wouldn't have gone down this path. Yeah. In what way do you think you're you would you're better? Well, I'm a better listener most of the time, yeah. um, and that's that's important. It's taught me to be um, to to be present instead of needing to be heard all the time. Um, and I'm still not perfect at it, but I, I'm definitely better than I used to be. But I'm, I'm a more empathetic person. I, uh, however, my my empathy level for certain types of people, the the people that hold the power, 
has maybe gone down a little bit because it's so frustrating yeah. um, that we have the resources to help so many people and we just choose not to. Um, I feel you on that one. Yeah. That actually brings us to a point where I am going to thank you and, and give you some props for this. When we met, I actually was earning a living selling art and being a caricature artist. And I had taken a couple months off from the cold weather up north and relocated myself down to New Orleans area. When I saw your book, I got really excited about it because I thought it was really powerful and I have this urge to like help people. So I started mentioning different things to you, possibilities, different ways to sell it, wholesale it here or there, and, and uh, d- different ideas. And then kind of with the assumption that maybe you wouldn't want to have to do the art markets anymore or, or whatever. And one of the things that you mentioned to me was that you get great value out of meeting people and those conversations that come from that. And sometimes based around the tool that you use, which allows people to reveal their hidden secrets. Right. So we had a little discussion about that. And I don't know if you remember that or not, but after that discussion, I started thinking very deeply about why I draw people. And I've been an artist all my life. And it's no big deal. I taught myself to be a caricature artist and I've drawn tens of thousands of people or more. And I thought, what is it do I get out of this? Because I've been doing it for so long and it's kind of not as much fun as it was in the beginning, not as much thrill, but I still like to do it. And it was that five or 10 minute connection with another human where they literally sat down and told me stuff about their lives because no one else would listen or because it was important to them and I was including it in their drawing. And it kind of blew my mind afterwards the more I got thinking about it. And actually, it's, that has been an important part of why I'm actually doing what I'm doing now because I don't market myself as an artist anymore. I'm actually helping people who have that desire to share what they have, to share their passion, to run a business and expertise in a particular area, and they want to be able to earn a living doing that so that they can do whatever it is their life's dream is, spend more time with their family, be debt-free, follow their passions, etc. So you opened my eyes to the fact that it was a connection with another human and their story and me um, being part of that um, and making that connection with another human that I hadn't really paid attention to until then. Well, that's, uh, that's great. I mean, I, that's really cool. Do you still use those cards? Uh, do you still make those cards? And, uh, yeah, actually in my, in my new place, I've got a whole room, uh, bathroom actually dedicated to the secrets. I've got them all. Well, I've got probably a few hundred of them up on the wall, just kind of taped up randomly. And then I have cards in there for people to, to leave their secret behind. And, um, yeah. So just kind of explain it for the listeners. It's pretty, pretty powerful though. So go ahead, uh, take it away. Um, the project post secret, which most people have heard of, it's been around for a long time and uh, millions of followers and uh, a bunch of books out and all that stuff. Uh, Frank Warren is the name of the guy who, who, um, who started the project and still does the project. Um, so that was a big inspiration. In fact, I mentioned them in the mentioned him in the introduction to my, to my book, because he really inspired kind of my journey, um, with, with my project. Okay. Um, so when I started after the book came out, um, I kind of sold everything that I owned and closed my studio down and I bought a travel trailer. You and I had that in common, you know, yeah. I was living in a That's right. trailer at the time when we met. Um, and so I was hitting all these art festivals and I was trying to make a living on the road, basically just selling my book and a a handful of my prints. And I was in Savannah, um, 
uh, selling at the river river walk. They do a, a monthly festival there. And, um, I was really frustrated, you know, because it was just one of those days, you know, how those, some of those days are, we just not selling anything. <laughs> My first weekend in New Orleans, which was topped off by a tornado. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, oh my God. It's one of those just grinding, horrible days. And, yeah. um, you know, I decided at some point during that day that I was sick of trying to sell my stuff. You know, like I didn't want to be a salesman anymore. I wanted to find a way to engage with people in another way. And so the thing that popped into my head was Post Secret and the connection to my work and, and all that. And so I just made up a little box out of, out of one of my um, boxes that my books come in. And I cut a hole in the top and I put, you know, actually I have a picture of me holding a sign that says share a secret and a hug. Yeah. And I would hold that, that cardboard sign up and get people to just write a secret down, put it in my box. And it changed everything for me because all of a sudden now I'm not worried about money. I'm not worried about how many, how much I'm going to sell. I'm not worried about you know, if I'm going to actually make it in this new life that I've created, I'm just trying to connect with people on a real way, which, which is really what my project's always been about. You know, you forget when you're out there trying to earn a living and you're, yes. you're concerned about like, you know, yeah. you know, you've kind of jumped off the, <laughs> jumped off this cliff and you don't know how you're going to make it. Yeah. But that, that act, taking that focus off of sales and putting it back on what was really important to me deeply, which was connecting with other humans, changed everything. Um, and it made it it made it all bearable. And it actually, I think I probably sold more because I wasn't worrying about it. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it, yeah, yes. it, just, it, it worked. Well, yes. However it worked, it worked, you know. So that's how it started. And I kept on going with it for a long time. And now I've got thousands and thousands of seats secrets that people have left for me. And, uh, yeah. So it yeah. continues. Yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. I like those. I thought that was a great idea and you're right because you're creating, um, you're creating an experience for people too. And they're going to remember you. It, it all ties together nicely too. I mean, if you were, if you were selling like, I don't know if you were selling almost anything else like shoes or something, it wouldn't work necessarily. You know what I mean? But no, not really. But like it all really ties really it all ties yeah. together, right? And like I said uh, yeah. in the opening, you're a hugger, so you know, it kind of worked it kind of worked itself all out. And and I did. I got a lot of hugs and I got a lot of, you know, human connection and yeah. really um I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do too now. Me meeting you and you know, hearing your observation and then thinking about it and having that little light bulb for me was, it was definitely like a transformational moment. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, I know you didn't expect me to, you didn't expect this. I know (laughs) it's true. I think it's great, man. I I really do. I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah, it's absolutely true. So it's interesting. You've kind of become an anthropologist. You're really digging into people and their stories. And now you are a collector of things. Um, you are a searcher, a traveler, a curious wanderer, finding oddities. So you've kind of evolved and you've got this new thing going, right? So it's the Hidden South. It's like a museum in a way, art, oddities, and antiques. Yes. I've always collected odd things as I travel around. I've always kind of picked up things here and there. And during COVID, I 
became very aware because, you know, we talked a little bit about the art markets and, and I really, you know, people always tried to talk me out of doing the art markets. They're like, man, you, you should really be doing something more, or, you know, like, like it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, me doing that. But to me, it was poetic. Like I had interviewed all these people on the street and here I was selling this book on the street uh-huh. and it really, you know, it made sense to me. Like I, I needed that experience. You know, I wanted that experience. Um, so during COVID, what I realized is that I was done with that experience. I really don't want that experience anymore. You know, I've done it and, and it's, um, it's, it's a wonderful life, but it's also, you know, really tough um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. You can attest to that. Sure. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't think I, I would ever say that I'll never do festivals or anything like that again. Cause I really do like the energy of some of those. And, um, but to do it on a daily basis like that, and it just became a grind. So I decided during COVID that I was going to change things up and that really what happened was, is I collected so much stuff that my house was overflowing. I don't live in a huge place. I live in a shotgun. It's a modest house, you know, and it was overflowing with stuff. And I did an estate sale uh, one weekend to kind of get rid of a lot of my stuff just because I, you know, wanted to wanted to kind of purge. And I, I made a ton of money. And I, I met a bunch of great people. And I was like, this is really cool. You know, I, I like selling as much as I like buying. But I, I also didn't want people in my personal space. So I kind of quickly tried to figure out how I was going to make this thing my new life. And I just kind of went with it. And I've been buying and selling stuff. Um, and I, I, I just got, I just signed a lease on my new place. It's a couple thousand square feet and it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's in this old house in, in, um, Araby, Louisiana, which is, you know, a quarter of a mile from the lower ninth ward. It's just a perfect spot for me. And it's, it's, it's really, um, it's really wonderful. I'm just, I just got in there, literally signed the lease on my 50th birthday, which is June 1st. Yeah. Happy um, birthday. Thanks. And I've reinvented myself so many times. I used to do, I used to be a creative director for a bank. Um, I used to be a pinup photographer. I've, I've done this other photojournalism thing for a long time. And now I am, now I'm going to do this. So it's, it's exciting. It's a blast. It's, it's fun, man. But either, either you got the bug or you don't, I think. I don't, right. I don't think, um, I think you have to have it to, to make it work because, yeah. Um, and then, so let me just, right. let's jump on that because it's kind of my thinking. All right. So to make it work, there are a lot of artists yeah. who can't make it work. A lot of creative people who can't make it work. Um, a lot of people, uh, maybe creativity isn't quite their thing, but maybe it's something else and they're still working, uh, for somebody else doing a job they hate. Um, what is it about you? What, what skills or techniques have you put to, put to good use to be able to have this kind of life where when you, decide that you want to pivot or whatever, um, reinvent that you can do that. And you have the, you know, you have confidence obviously. So that's one of them. You must have the confidence, right? But it's not just based on like thin air. I do have the confidence some days. And then some days I wake up and I'm like, what are you doing? It's all of us, brother. I may not be the, the, the poster child for what you're looking for. I mean, I, Oh, you'd be surprised. I've always lived my life in a way 
Um, you know, I'm not a huge Steve Harvey fan, but there's a video of him out there. Somebody's talking to him in a garage. Yeah. He's about to get into his very expensive car. And he talks about how, and, and I'm sure you've probably seen this, but he talks about the this idea of being successful and how nobody becomes successful without jumping off the cliff. Yeah. You got to be one jump off the cliff and you got to be willing to take your bumps on the way down and you got to have faith that that parachute's going to open. And, um, that's the way I've lived my whole life. I mean, I've, I've just reinvented myself so many times. Um, I guess I really fundamentally have a belief that if I get up every day and I do my best and I try my hardest, something's going to pan out. It's going to, it's going to work out, you know, some way or another. And I, I don't really have many secrets other than I try to have faith that, that whatever it is that's, that's pulling the strings, that has got my back out there or whatever it is that, you know, universal energy or, or whatever it is, yeah. if I do my part and, you know, I, I said that I, I had issues with addiction. So part of my recovery was in 12 steps. And so, you know, they have this thing where they say, you just have to do a hundred percent of your 1% right. and let let God do the rest. Um, now I don't, I don't personally believe in, in, um, the God that I grew up with or anything like that, but, but I do believe that I just have to do my part and then whatever, whatever it is that unravels the rest just takes care of it. You know, I believe that, you know, there are people that have clear visions about exactly what they want to do and exactly how they're going to get there. And I'm just not one of those people. Yeah. I am one of those people that are like, okay, I want to, someday have this nonprofit that teaches people how to create useful things in art out of junk. And I put that out there just in a broad way and somehow, some way I'm going to find, find my way to that, which is kind of what, what this whole thing is about. It's ultimately, I, I do want to create a nonprofit out of it. And I want to, I want to teach people who uh, otherwise can't get jobs that can sustain themselves and their family, how to, how to create things out of, perceived junk. Sounds like you have a direction. I do. I do. I just don't know how to, how I'm going to get there. Exactly. Well, but. a lot of us don't. A couple of things I like to unpack out of that. First of all, I think it's wonderful and amazing that you've had demons in your life. Maybe you still do. You get up every day and you have the faith, right? And you believe that good things are going to happen. That stuff is going to work itself out for you. Even in the face of all the people that you've met who have had such horrible experiences, some who still have horrible lives. There are all those examples of people with horrible traumas in life. Were they all still optimistic? No. And Most so of them weren't. Why, you know, what is it that lets you be optimistic? It's a good question. I'm trying to think of a, 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 a real way to answer that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a bunch of factors. I'll, I'll, I will say this. Um, you know, while I had bad shit happen to me when I was a kid and I um, I went through addiction and, and all that stuff, uh, what I had that most of the people that I talked to didn't have was uh, a loving, supporting family. And particularly my mother. I think she's been the greatest example for me. Um, when she left the church, she left, I mean, we grew up Catholic and, and she kind of left all that behind uh, after her brother died of cancer when I was about 13 years old. And she started seeking out other other things, um, kind of opening up her mind 
she still says being quotes from like Abraham Hicks and, uh, you know, Wayne Dyer and uh, Ram Das and just all these all these people that, you know, would be considered, I guess, uh, self-help gurus or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, during those times when I was really struggling with addiction and trying to find a way out of it, I, I think those things watching her kind of unpack all of all of this new information that I didn't have when I was growing up, I kind of clung on to that as well. And I had, you know, I had my my favorite books like Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh and Four Agreements and, and just all those things. And I've always been a seeker. Like I've always sought out um, knowledge. Yeah. Um, maybe enough of that got into my brain that just kind of switched it around to believe that, that if I do these things, it's going to be okay. And it's going to be all right. It's going to pan out. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that I've had a lot of advantages that a lot of people that I've talked to sure didn't have, you know, and they don't have, and they didn't have that positive, um, they didn't have that positive influence in their life saying, you know, you're going to be okay. It makes all the difference in the world. And yeah, a lot of folks don't have that. Yeah. So uh, obviously one, that's one of the things that you observed that was a commonality was that lack of support and that lack of foundation that allows people to build upon, right? Is that you had that. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, Russell, I, I was driving home last night and I, um, I saw this guy, there's this, there's this lot that's on, um, on my way home and it's a old beat up van there and there's all this junk there. And I've always wanted to kind of go dig through there. And I happened to see the guy that, that lives at that place out in front of it on my way home last night. And I stopped and I just started talking to him. And by the end of it, I said, Hey, you know, can you tell me, can you tell me a little bit? And I started recording this. I haven't, I haven't done this in, a long time, you know, I haven't, um, haven't been doing it much lately, but I, I recorded the conversation and he told me about, um, how he was one of five children and how his mom just didn't like him. You know, she, um, she basically just shit on him his whole life. He really didn't have that. And, and when you look at the guy now, he's 60 something years old. And he, when I took his picture, he wouldn't even look, he couldn't look at the camera cause he just, He'd been so beat down by the person who was closest to him his entire life. You know, it was like he was a, a abused, you know, you've seen dogs that have been beaten and they, yes. they just yeah. won't even look at you yeah. because they, they just think so little of themselves. And that's kind of what I got from him. And actually his nickname was Fido. Oh, somebody, oh dear. Right. When you contrast that to um, somebody who, like me who has had somebody extraordinarily positive, like my, my mom, um, even as an adult, she's always been there just to, just to kind of, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, it may just makes all the difference. Yeah, no, it does. I believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure that you made a difference also with uh, many of the people that you've met through your book and through other projects, like sometimes all it takes is just being seen, right? Being, having somebody see you. That's a human, a human condition is we all need to be recognized and accepted. It's been so good talking to you. I wish we'd go for a couple more hours. I just wanted to reinforce with you and also point out for a lot of the people listening that uh, you exhibit tremendous curiosity. You are very persistent like you have, right? So you've got all these different projects. You keep, you keep at them. You've completed many of them and you go on to other ones. You haven't given up. Right. And also with your sobriety, which is huge. 
you've been flexible because you've been pivoting from one thing to another. Sometimes maybe it was from outside influences and other times maybe like, you know, like with the book and, and the, and that, like you were just, you're ready to move on to the next, the next project, right. comes to an, a right. natural end. Um, creativity obviously is huge with you. Being willing to take risks is a huge part. I'm not a gambler, but I do take risks. And the reason I take risks, I think, and probably the same with you, is because we have tremendous confidence in our ability. And also, we believe that resources and things will conspire to help us. What level we want to perceive that, whether it's uh, divine intervention or the cosmos or coincidence or, you know, reprogramming our brains to be able to see and recognize those opportunities and resources when they come up, you know, being resourceful. I mean, those are all such important things. So Brent, you have exhibited all of those amazing characteristics. Our listeners are wanting to know like what works, right? And what things are important. There are commonalities among all successful people. You know, success doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm a multimillionaire and I have a jet. That's not success for everybody. People have different kinds of goals. And you actually outlined one that you have was that um, a nonprofit, which is the first I heard of this. Yeah. So that, that is a, that is a big thing that I'm trying to do with this. Um, but I would say my overall goal has always been to be free. Yes. Yes. I think that some of that involves money because, you know, it's, it's hard to feel free when you can't do the things that you don't want to, that you, you know, you can't do things because you don't have enough money, Yeah. but it's really, it's really about freedom for me. That's kind of the, the, the underlying goal. Yeah. And I'll, say, I'll say this before we get, before we get off. Um, if there is one thing that I think I've learned um, is that action is, is really, really important. You know, like even if it's not the right action, if I, if I start on something and I just do something, yeah. usually I get turned around in the right way and, and it works out. But when I just, get into thinking mode and I'm not acting at all. Uh, to me, that's a recipe for something that's just never going to happen, never going to pan out. But, um, any action I've noticed that the universe just turns me in the right direction. If I take some sort of action, just kind of get it stirred up and, 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 and and get it moving. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. I like how you say that stirred up too, Uh, man. I appreciate you so much. Uh, today it was great to reconnect with you. Yeah, so thehiddensouth.com is uh, where you can where you can find me, um, and then all the social medias, of course. I have different social media for the Hidden South Photojournalism Project, and then the Hidden South Studio, which is my um, which is my newest thing. So both are out there on Instagram and Facebook. Hiddensouth.com is probably the best place. BW at hiddensouth.com is my email address, and. Um, yeah, that's it. That's my spiel. If you're in New Orleans, come out and see me. 7124 St. Claude Avenue, Arabie, Louisiana. Come and see me. Awesome. Yeah, there's a big old sign that says the Hidden South. All right, super. All right, well, listen, it's time for the questions, all right? I'm going to hit the all right. gonna hit the intro, so stand by. It's time to answer the questions. I 
double dare you. All right, we're double daring uh, Brent to answer these questions. And uh, as I knew he would be, he's very forthcoming and very uh, open, you know, to share. So, uh, so be careful what you ask me. <laughs> if you don't want to hear the real answer, don't ask. Right. So a couple of these are a couple of these are a little more fun. Maybe a couple more, a little more, a little deeper. And uh, actually, one's going to be great because I now that I know that you have this nonprofit thing in the back of your head. So all right, here we go. The questions. Brenna's not here today. Normally, Brenna does a question. She's been so busy lately with her own her own career that uh, she hasn't been available in here. But here we go. Question number one: What is the most important thing you have learned? from all of the people that you have met. I, I think we kind of covered this, but now we're going to really, well, let's just pin you down to pin you down to one thing because it doesn't have to be the people that you met for your book. It could be of all the people. What is the most, what is the one most important thing that you've learned from all of the people that you've met? God, man. So, uh, so, ah, uh, oh, man, I don't know. The cynical part of me is like, they were all very self-centered <laughs> and we don't, see, we don't see very far past what we can see from our own front porch. No, that's, it's, Hey, it's no, fun. that's good. Like I've learned, I've learned lots of things from people, from good people, like bad habits or, or things that they did that I saw that were incredibly uh, wrong or damaging. Oh, wow. That's like, there's a lesson right there, right? There's a cautionary tale. Remember that yeah. and don't do that or purposely do the opposite and create the opposite um, impact or the opposite effect. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the thing is, is I think most people live their lives in fear, you know, they, based on who they're, I mean, just who they spend their life with and the relationships they stay in and, you know, all that stuff. And I think we all have choices every day to choose fear or love and to to walk on one of those paths. And I I think that, um, wow. yeah, see, that's a that's a great answer. That's very good, <laughs> Brent. Choose love, not fear. Yeah. I love it, Brent. That's a good one. You'd be so you honestly, you'd be surprised how many times guests and even myself have when we've talked about different things, solutions to problems, or particular ways to think and and then act. If you distill it down, it comes down to love. It, it's loving other people, caring about other people, doing what's and loving yourself too. Like r- loving and respecting yeah. yourself, right? Doing all the things that you need to do to be healthy, to have a great life, to be happy, and and then to be able to make an impact on other people in so many different ways. I mean, and really, there it is. This is the nugget. Funny that's preached in so many different uh, religions and, you know, uh, ancient texts and things, right? And the Beatles. And the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course, the Beatles. All right, question number two. Who do people tell you that you look like? Oh, Jesus. Um, Jesus, really? Really? (laughs) No, I think I look like Jesus. Nobody else can do that. The the white... Jesus. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to say that. Assuming assuming Jesus was a Caucasian from Atlanta <laughs> right, or from Georgia. Right. Well, so, yeah, southern the southern Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I I've gotten I've gotten a few people over the years. I don't really think I look like any of them. Uh, let me just preface it by saying that. Okay. When I was younger and I had long hair, I used to get Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Have, I can see that. I, I think we have a similar underbite. Got. Oh okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that um, I actually had a, a a girl date me one time just because she thought I looked just so much like him. Anyway, oh my um, gosh, just, we I've have gotten, more. I've gotten Robert Downey Jr. before, which I don't I don't yeah. see at all. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know, man. I, I don't think I look like anybody. 
Oh my gosh. Now it's interesting that you said that. I think I've told this story before, probably when we first started asking this particular question, but uh, when I was, I guess it was in the eighties, how old was I? I don't know, early twenties. I got a job at a record store. Of course, when there was, when there were such things, um, because the young women who ran the store thought I looked like Robert Plant. I was really skinny. I had the hair, I had the nose and here I was like, they were really excited to hire me. And I was like, all like, well, this is great. You know? And I was a DJ at other places at the time. So I had little knowledge of music. I wasn't like big time into it, but I'm, you know, I was kind of personable, really like into, you know, talking to people and stuff. And, um, and one day we were just talking about different things and I don't know how it came up. And, um, I was like, you know, why'd you hire me? You know, what was it that you decided to hire me? And I expected, you know, my ego is like, okay, well, whatever. I'm waiting for the answer. And they go, because you look like Robert Plant. And both of them said it. And I'm like, (laughs) and I thought they were joking. But I said, wait, wait. And they're very funny. No, why did you really? And they go, honestly, because we thought you look like Robert Plant. I go, that's the only reason you hired me? And they said, yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous, right? Take it, you know, take what you can get. That's what you I know, thought. I'll tell you, I will tell you what you, when, while you were talking, I thought about it. And the last person that told me I looked like somebody, yeah. <laughs> it was my friend. We were, we were in, uh, I was living in the North Georgia mountains at the time in my travel trailer and we were at a bar. I wasn't drinking. She was, and she'd had quite a few. And she told me, she said, you have Rasputin eyes. Oh, and I said, well, what does that mean? She said, your eyes look like Rasputin. And I said, you mean the evil monk? And she swore that I had Rasputin eyes. So the next time I saw her, I had gotten online and I got a t-shirt that had Rasputin on the back. Oh. And I wore that for her. And, uh, <laughs> well, you did have that. There are photos of him. And you did have, you do have the dark hair and the beard. And you, did you have long hair at the time then too? Or what? Long black hair? think he did right not not well i mean it's always kind of a little bit long on top you know but uh whatever <laughs> oh, that's I, crazy. I, I took and ran with it you yeah, know why not I, <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah. that's what i said too i was like all right well whatever i've got the job so yeah. all right number yeah. three there is a listener who is feeling stuck in their life why is it okay and what could they do next so you're you're saying there is a listener that's feeling stuck in their life yeah. why is that okay is, you're assuming that i think it's okay well if you don't you know you can correct me <laughs> i think i think um i think it is okay in that we all just going to do what we're going to do but i think that that it goes back to that action thing you know any action i think you know so I just feel like getting unstuck for me is always about doing something, you know, like it's, it's about, no, you just got to take some action. You got to do something. You got to like shake that loose. Um, and sitting with it to me too long is unhealthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I would tell that person, you know, what are you passionate about? Don't wait until you're good at it, you know, perceived good at it or the best at it, because then you you know, that ship has sailed, you know, you got to just do it, do it, go. Yeah. And I, I yeah. agree with you and many, many other people do successful people do and I'll say it in different ways. So it was good for you to say it your way. It'll, it'll, someone will identify with it. All right. The last question is actually a coaching question. And, uh, this is kind of my excuse to have a little commercial cause I do offer, uh, entrepreneur success coaching. And if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you a coaching question. All right. All right. What is the one looming obstacle now either internal or external obstacles that when conquered would help make a difference in reaching your big goal. 
And you did mention the nonprofit, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. I left it, I left it open for your interpretation because it could be anything. Business. I mean, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the only obstacle in anything I want to do is me. It's always me. It's right. always, it's always me. Um, because I, I, you know, sometimes these things that I'm saying that other people should do, I don't do them myself. Of course. And so I get, I get stuck and I get, um, cause I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I get, and, and when I'm not moving, I get depressed, you know, I get down and, and that's not a good place for me to be. So can you identify one? Is there one looming obstacle or is there one main one that that's in the way um, that you'd be willing to, to, to share uh, for our listeners? Is there one thing that maybe it's something that comes up often uh, or maybe it's um, maybe just there for right now? Yeah, I think what comes up for me sometimes is imposter syndrome. Like, for example, I'm talking about doing this nonprofit, right? And this nonprofit teaches people how to do, um, how to create things. And that, that takes certain talents like woodworking and metal smithing and, you know, um, just all of these things that, that I don't necessarily know how to do yet, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and I'm learning as I go, you know, my, what will happen though, Russell, if I'm, if I'm being honest and if I, if I yeah. really do what I'm saying I'm doing, yeah. the right people going to show up and they're going to show not only show them how to do it, but they're going to show me how to do it. And it's all going to come together. You know, a, for, a community is going to form around this idea that I have. And I have to remember that I am, I am on this journey. I am, I am doing, uh, I am as the blues brothers say, uh, I'm on a mission from God, you know? I love so <laughs> I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing the deal. I'm getting up every day and I'm doing my part. The right pieces are just going to come together and I don't always have faith. So if I, if I just can cultivate that and get out of my own way, then I'm going to be okay. All right. That's a great place to end. Uh, Brent, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Uh, I'm so glad we got a chance to connect. All right. That concludes another episode of Going Boldly. I hope you were entertained and you discovered at least one nugget of wisdom or advice that you can put into action immediately. Or maybe you received some inspiration from today's episode. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. Please share it with them. You might be the important link that will change their life for the better. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode. And it will make it easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please subscribe. It will benefit us all. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment and send me a DM. I read everyone personally, and I do my best to respond to each and every one. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in the comments, shares, DMs, and from the list of subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests or just something random and fun. But you have to comment, share, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. A special thanks to Brenna Swanger at Waverly Manor Studios for our great theme music. And finally, thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.